scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, we know that we can ask in the name of Jesus because he died and rose and is now even at your right hand, ruling and reigning and interceding even for us. So as we pray, he prays. It's our heart's desire and his as well. That we listen, that we know your word. And that it has its perfect work in us. Holy Spirit, come, I pray, and inform this word with your presence. That we may hear it and believe this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I want to read verses 25 through 33. John chapter 16, please. Hear the word of God. This is Jesus speaking. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech that will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, Ah, and now you're speaking plainly and not using figure... Of speech, not using figurative speech. Now we know that that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, chosen this particular passage today for two reasons, really. About three, one, it's in the Bible, but that's a given, I suspect. But one reason is because this is where we've been the last number of months. We've been working our way through John chapter 14, 15, 16. We're in chapter 16, so this is where we are, so this is where we take up. But secondly, this. And, and that is on this day, it's helpful for us to, to, to kind of get a whole big picture, if you will, a summary of the mission of Jesus. And we find in these verses, in a couple of them at least, is a summary of the mission of Jesus. So if you've ever wondered what all this Jesus thing is about, or as a believer, you wonder, how can I, how can I really lay this out? How can I have a, 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 a way to kind of categorize this mission of Jesus? I think we find it here in verses 28 and in 33, 28 kind of lays out the overview. 38 kind of gets us a few necessary uh, details. You'll notice in verse 28, uh, Jesus makes four points. We could collapse them every, any way we want to. But, but he speaks about himself. He speaks about his, his mission. He says, I came from the Father. And then he says, and I've come into the world. And then, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. How more simple could it be? It was so simple that the disciples went, oh, thanks so very much. Finally, we get it. 
Finally, we understand what this is all about. Finally, we understand what you've been saying to us all this time. Let me get this straight. You came from the Father. You came into the world. You're leaving the world, going back to the Father. All right. I've got it. And that's true, you see. He did come from the Father. That was crucial in all of this. In fact, one of the great questions as you read through the Gospel of John especially is about Jesus' origins. Where did he come from? That's a big question. Now, of course, in Jesus' day, as in ours in some regard, it's, it's important to know, it's helpful to know where people have come from. Certain parts of the country, they, you, you want to know, well, where are you from, really? My friends in St. Louis, those of you from St. Louis, you, you always know if you go to St. Louis, you're from St. Louis at least, people always ask you what high school you went to. That means something to them. They, boom, all of a sudden you're in a box. They, they know enough about you just knowing that. What high school you went to. Yeah, that's true for some of you from various places. But, but you know these things. Tell me about. Where are you from really? People ask me all the time. Where are you from? Where did you get that accent? What's, 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 what's about that? See, and I have to tell them. I grew up in this little ethnic community in Pennsylvania. My, my mother's family was from Ireland. And, and my great aunt Rose talked my ear off as a kid. Right. So I, I, that's where it all comes from. Try to enunciate it, sound like her. All right? We, we want to know, where did you come from? People wanted to know, where did Jesus come from? In fact, when Jesus began this ministry of his, he, he, he found Andrew, who found Peter. And then he went to Andrew and Peter's city. And, and there they found Philip. And in finding Philip, they went to Philip's brother, Nathaniel. And, and they said, we found the Christ Jesus of Nazareth, his first response was, couldn't be, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And Jesus then would go on to speak throughout this Gospel of John, as John records him, about his origin from whence he had come. He had come from the Father, come from God. It became increasingly apparent. Nicodemus, this man, went to Jesus and said, said it, 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 only someone who's come from God could teach the way you do. After he fed the 5,000 with just a little bit of food and all these people were fed, they said, surely you're the prophet who has come from God. So, so, so we know that we we're starting to get that. There's a great occasion where Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. And, and he gave him new eyes and the man could see. And the religious leaders were all upset about this. Because Jesus was becoming competition for them. And, and this man who was born blind uh, was being quizzed by the religious leaders. And they said, well, we know where Moses is from, but where is this man from? Where did he come from, this man who, who just gave you new eyes? <laughs> and this very plain and seemingly at least religiously uneducated man looked at them rather quizzically and said, I can't believe. You don't know where he's from. Who else could do this except someone who's from God? I mean, come on. Who else could really, could really do this? And then, of course, there was Jesus when he was with the sisters, Mary and Martha, after the death of his dear friend, Lazarus. So he meets with Martha, and Jesus says to her, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said to Martha, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, she knew Jesus, and she knew that everybody was going to be able to give life, who was the resurrection and the life. That person must have come from outside this world, who must have come into it. And so, of course, they said, yes, we, we know. We know where you've, you've come from. Jesus knew that he had come from heaven. He had come from the Father. In talking to Nicodemus, this man I mentioned a few minutes ago about the things of God, he says to him, he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He says, I know, I've come from, come from heaven. He knew that. Indeed, after he fed these 5,000 people and after he had spoken about himself as the bread of life and the necessity for feasting, for believing in him, he said to his disciples, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? That is, heaven, the very place of, of God. Jesus knew, you see. He knew who he was. He knew where he had where he had come from. He knew that he'd been sent by the Father to the earth. In fact, the way John puts it in his very introductory words, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's saying, listen, I've come from the Father. <clears throat> Once you know that, that should lay everything else out for you. I've come from heaven. That's my origins. And so he was saying, I'm eternal. He was saying, I, I'm God. In fact, on one occasion, he looked at the religious leaders who, who, who thought themselves to be children of Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he's saying, I existed before Abraham. And they were stunned at that because there he was standing before them. And how could you have existed before Abraham and yet stand before us? Because I'm from heaven. I've come from the Father. He, he could say then, you believe in me, you believe in God. Because I'm from him. I'm God in the flesh. He could say, if you honor me, you honor God. He could say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Alexander McLaren, a 19th century Baptist minister in Scotland, put it like this, he said, this Jesus the meekest, lowliest, and most sane and wise of religious teachers made deliberately over and over again this claim, that is, that he was from heaven. Which is either absolutely true and lifts him into the region of the deity, or else is fatal to his pretensions to either be meek or modest, wise or sane, or religious leader to whom it is worth our while to listen. C.S. Lewis summarized it more poignantly, perhaps. 
when he spoke of Jesus' claims and said, he's either a demon or he's on par with a man who claims to be a poached egg. That is, he's insane. Or he really is from heaven. He really is the Son of God. So he said to them, what you need to know is that I really am from heaven. I've come from the Father. That's my origins. And then he says, I, I've come into the world. The way John put that in this introduction to his, his gospel, verse 14 of chapter 1, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's it, you see. That's we call the incarnation. That's Christmas. Uh, we celebrate the coming of Jesus from the Father. The Word became flesh and, and, and dwelling among us. And so the question that one would ask when you would hear someone say, I've come from the Father, I've come into the world, this incarnation, this God taking on humanity, one person, two natures, divine human, You'd have to ask the question, it seems to me, well then, why did you do that? Why did you come? Well, we see, again, John lays out why Jesus had come, and Jesus would reiterate this through the course of his life. In verse 18 of John 1, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So Jesus comes, you see this, God, who was at the Father's side, who came from the Father, he's come to make God, to make the Father known to us. And and he's uniquely qualified to do that. Because, you see, he came from the Father. Because, you see, he is God. And so he was able to say to people, you're just talking about God, but I've seen him. You're just talking about him, but this is what I've heard him say. You're talking about God, but this is what I've seen him do. See, I come from the Father, and here I am, uniquely qualified, you see, to, 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 to show you who he is, to reveal him to you. In fact, on this evening about which we speak from chapter 16, just, just prior Just prior to it, Jesus would know, you see, who he was. For he says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say, what to speak. I know what his commandment, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So he's uniquely qualified to, to speak, of course, about him. Because he came from him. Because he knows him. Who do you trust, really, to speak to you about God? You see, that's the question that Jesus was asking. Who do you trust, really, to speak to you about God? And Jesus was saying, trust me. I came from him. And not only that, you see, since he's man, he's uniquely qualified to talk to us about God. And to talk to us about us. He made us. He knows our purpose. He knows our frame. He knows everything about us. He knows how we're wired. He knows how we should be wired. 
He knows what really should bring us joy. And if only we knew it and lived it, it really would. I mean, that's what he knows, you see. And so he comes, and he's uniquely qualified to speak to us about us. He's uniquely qualified to speak to us about God, because you see, as us, he can put it in words that we can understand. He can speak to us. The scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that's great, but they don't always speak English. They don't always speak human. They don't always speak the language of people. And Jesus came to do just that. Put into words, to put into life as he walked, as he talked, as he lived with them to say, this is who God is. This is what God really is like. And then you see, he came for a second purpose. The way that he put it, Jesus did, is that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When he sucks like that, you go, all right, he's bailing us out. He's paying a ransom so that we could be free, so that those who are in bondage could be free. That's what ransom paying is for. To pay a ransom means that someone's, someone's enslaved, someone's been kidnapped, someone, someone, someone's, someone, someone needs to be freed, and, and a payment has to be paid in order for them to be freed. And so we're getting the picture. He's come to do that. And so Jesus himself on this night, when he's with his disciples right before the crucifixion, He he says to them, verse 33, he said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world, you see. In paying this ransom, he overcomes the world. What's he mean by that? Well, the word world is used in uh, various ways in the scripture. It can just mean the earth. It's just a place where people live. But here you get this sense, as we talked last Sunday as well, you get this sense that there's an ethical dimension to this word world. It's something that needs to be, must be overcome if we're to know peace. If, we're, if things are to, way, to be the way they ought to be, the world needs to be overcome because the world isn't the way it ought to be. Now, I hope that that doesn't come as a huge surprise to you, that the world is the way it ought to be. Everyone I know, whether they're a Christian or not, knows things about the world that ought to be different. At least they think it ought to be different. No big surprise that the world isn't the way it ought to be. So Jesus says, well, I've come to overcome it, to bring it to the place where it ought to be, to bring peace. Where there's perfect harmony, you say. That's it. So in order to do that, the world had to be overcome. So what is this world? And in Jesus' mind, this world is, is that which is against God. It's the spirit of the age, as he would put it. It's under the power of this one Satan, the the ruler who's come to get him. In fact, earlier this very same evening, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, um, he says to them in verse 30, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. But then Jesus says, don't worry, this is any claim on me. And so you see the conflict. You see the battle lines drawn at that point. These battle lines had been drawn. See it all the way back in Genesis, in chapter 3. Remember, that's where the disharmony started. That's where 
all that's wrong with the world began. God had created it was good. So Adam and Eve live here, flourish. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you'll die. What do you mean by that? What God meant by that was not that it's wrong to know the difference between good and evil. That's a virtue. But God says, I'm the one who defines good and evil, not you. That's not your prerogative. So obey my word. That's good. And you'll live. You know, the evil one came, this very ruler of the world. This evil one came, even at that point, and turned the world on its ear, if you will. Because enticing Eve and Adam to do exactly what God had said not to do, they disregarded the word of God and regarded the word of the evil one. And that's when it all began. That's when it all went bad, if you will. And that's when the world turned against God. Adam and Eve, you remember, ran to hiding, living in darkness. They're afraid to face him. They know their guilt, but afraid to face God. And, and, and see, that's the corruption then that eats at human beings all the time. This, what the Bible calls sin, this rebellion against God, this offense against him, this deciding to go our own way, to live as if we're God, to live as if we're judged, to live as, with, as, as if we're the measure of all things. And once that happens, you see, everything's wrong. We're never meant to be in that position. We haven't got as creatures what it takes apart from God to live well. Thus, as those who think themselves to be all that, think themselves to be the judge of all things, the measure of all things, selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, creates all kinds of disharmony amongst people, but most especially with God, because he's just. He's loving, but he's just. So he deals with this rebellion of, his, of these people, of human beings. And so you see, we're estranged from God, and that's the problem. There isn't any peace with God, and so there's no peace within. Because there's this sense that the world is really bigger than we are. We, we really can't control it. It really will get us. And that's been our experience, hasn't it? It always does get us because we all die. And there's always that in the back, sometimes in the front of our minds. We see it all the time as no matter how much Americans want to avoid it. The truth of the matter is, death is. It's always there to remind us that we don't win in the end. We make up all kinds of things about the end and what's going to happen then and so forth and so on in order to survive. But, but, but the big question is, is that really true? And Jesus said, well, I've come from the Father. Let me reveal. I've come from God. Let me reveal what's really true. I've seen it. I know it from the other side of it, from all eternity. So listen to me. And not only that, trust me. 
Because here's what I've come to do. I've come to reverse all of that. I've come to overcome all of that. I've come to overcome the antagonism, the separation, the estrangement with God. And I've come to do that first by my life. Where Adam sinned, where human beings have sinned, I'm going to obey. I'll obey at every turn. I will be the righteous one. I'll always be with and in the Father. So I'll obey at every turn. We, we see that in the life of Jesus. We, we saw it early on. If you read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll find that very early on in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, at least, at least he encounters this evil one face to face. And it's almost feels like a reenactment of what took place in the Garden of Eden. But Adam sinned by disregarding the word of God. Jesus obeyed by regarding the word of God and disregarding the word of the evil one. And, and if you're, you're reading it like that from Genesis all the way through, you get to that point and you go, yes! And then he said, I'm going to over the, overcome the world by my death. I'm going to break this bondage the world is in. I'm going to break this bondage, this rebellion. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the guilt of sinners upon myself and I'll pay it. That's what I meant during our confession time, that Jesus' death was substitutionary. It wasn't because of his own sin. It was for the sins of others. That startling expression of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You read that and you, and you get a sense. Is Jesus startled by this? I mean, he knew why he came to die. Uh, so, so why would he even say that? Wouldn't he have said, my God, my God, I get it. You've forsaken me. But, but you, it's why. I mean, it sort of stands out. Now you realize that Jesus is quoting from the psalm, Psalm 22, a psalm of David. Now think of it for a minute. Our men's Bible study yesterday explored this. But, but, but think of it. David shouted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he he shouted that, he said that, because David was the anointed king of Israel, but he was running for his life. Because Saul was still the acting king of Israel. And he wondered, God, what's the deal? I'm the king, you anointed me to be the king. But but now, it's, it's like... You've forsaken me. The people mock me, at least those who are being ruled by Saul. What's going on here? You read through that psalm, you'll find that in the end, it all works out for David well. There's Jesus. He's the king. People are mocking him. 
Because in the world it appears as if there's another king on the throne. And Jesus says, like David, I'm the king. But what he could know of his forsakenness because he really was at that moment in time. That, that was the time, you see, that it appears that Jesus was really paying, if you will, for the sins of sinners. When, when we uh, repeat the Apostles' Creed as we do from time to time, as churches should, there's that little expression, he descended into hell. And the big question is, when? Well, then. When he was forsaken by his father. Those moments, those hours. He was experienced the eternal judgment that the sins of sinners deserve. You see, in paying then for the sins of sinners, and in paying that, he broke sin's power. Because he said the primary power of sin is accusation. It's saying, listen, you're guilty before God. Run from him. You're guilty before God. And we know that deep within. And it creates all kinds of issues, if you will, for us. And, and, and so once that power has been dealt with, been broken, you see, it has no claim. And Jesus said, for those who believe, this has no claim, this sin upon you any longer. The way the apostle puts it in Colossians in chapter 2 is like this. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses, your sins. But God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal commands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He says, at that moment in time, everything changed. At that moment in time, the evil one was really defeated, dethroned, if you will. And Jesus was once again, we could put it like that, enthroned. Defeated the evil one, and the bondage was broken. And as forgiven sinners, then, those who believe in Jesus, as forgiven sinners, then, things begin to change in us. First, we realize, as Jesus said, we have peace, peace with God. The hostility is gone. We're accepted by Him. There's no case against us any longer in heaven. It's all forgiven. There's a sense in which if you go back to the Father after you've confessed your sins and you say, do you remember what I did yesterday? He'll say, no. It's forgiven. I don't hold that against you. It's forgiven. All that in Jesus, you see. And then we realize as forgiven ones, we forgive. We realize as people who have received mercy, we give mercy. We realize as people who have been shown kindness, we show kindness. We see that beginning to take place, take hold in our, own, in our own lives. 
And so now not only do we have this peace with God, we're reconciled to him. And as we forgive and as we show mercy and as we're patient and as we're kind and loving and all of that towards others, what we find is that we have peace with others as well. It breeds it all, you see. So how do we know that's true? Well, Jesus said, I came from the Father, I came to the earth, now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Now, if he came to the world and died, how can he leave? Easter. Resurrection. Because he rose from the dead. And you see, his rising, the reason this is crucial, the reason this is the day we celebrate, is because on this day of his rising, what it shouts to us is that the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son. Once he had paid for the sins of sinners... Because he had no sin, he was free to go. And in going, it was an announcement, it's done. Sin's forgiven. Father accepted my sacrifice. And now I'm enthroned again. So he goes back to the Father, and from there he rules and reigns. And and what he does is, as he promised his disciples, he says, listen, here you can have peace. No, and then when I'm in glory, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm the living guarantee that a day will come when you'll be here with me. As long as I'm here, there's a place for you. And this is where I belong. This is my home. So it will be yours as well. Don't fear death. I've overcome it. I know it looks like it always wins. But for believers, it never really wins. Trust me. Now that he says, from here I send my spirit so that the very presence of God will be with you always. And you have great purpose in life because he at work in you is transforming you to conform you into my image and providing you opportunity to share this with others to glorify me that's your purpose in life. Now realize, he said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Jesus, the realist, knew it. If tribulation, trials, difficulties, pressures, all kinds of reasons. One's just through the natural pressures of life that come to everyone because we live in the world in which we live. And so tragedies happen, difficulties happen. They happen to us as believers just like they happen to others as well. There are difficulties in the world. We're in the world. We're exposed to and experience difficulties. Not only that, you see. But for believers, these especially, and others throughout history, perhaps at times in our own lives, Jesus had already said, the world will hate you because they hated me. So there'll be pressure, there'll be tribulation, there'll be trials. Because of that. He said, don't worry. I've overcome that too. And if you believe in me, you'll overcome it as well. Overcome evil the same way I did. With good. And then you see, he says, since I'm there, what I'm doing is I'm always interceding for you. Your name is always well spoken of in heaven. And if ever an accusation would come in the direction of God about you, I intercept it and I defend you. 
If ever something's happening on earth that's difficult for you, trust me, I know that and I'm interceding always on your behalf. In other words, not only that, but you can pray in my name. They'll always hear. You can trust and always do what's best. Since I'm ruling and reigning, you can know that everything that happens to you and everything that happens around you will always work out for good. Do you know that almost everybody believes that in the world if you talk to them? Most everybody who goes through difficult things says, well, I'm sure there's a purpose in this and I'm sure it's good. And I love to ask, how do you know that? We know that because Jesus said that he was interceding for us. He's at work ruling and reigning over all things for the sake of his people. So we trust it. You see, we have something to grab a hold of. Because he came from the Father. He knows what he's talking about. He came to the earth. He did his work. His work was accepted. It was successful. It was victorious. And he went and now he rules and reigns and intercedes on our behalf. Jesus says thus, don't live in fear. Don't live in anxiety. Live in peace. But he says, for this to be true, you have to be in him. You have to believe. And so, for our kids, you've grown up in this church. Kids who are here, you've heard this before. You've heard it from your parents. You've heard it from your Sunday school teachers. You've heard it from me. You've heard it from your children's church teachers. You've heard it from your blast teachers. You've heard it from both the Miss Jennies. You must believe it. That Jesus came from the Father into the world, overcame the world, was resurrected, left the world, now is ruling and reigning. For our teenagers, the augurs in our church, you've heard this before. You've heard it from me, you've heard it from your parents, probably. You've heard it from Tyler and Ryan and Kristen and all the others. I've heard it from your small group leaders, your Sunday school teachers, retreat leaders, and all of that. You must believe it. The adults in this congregation, you know that you've heard this before. You've been told it by me, by Sunday school teachers, by friends, by perhaps spouses, by maybe even your children. You've read it. You must believe it. Jesus said, came from the Father. Who does that make him to be? I came into the world. What did he come to do? I left the world. What does that mean about his resurrection? I'm with the Father that we might have 
peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done. And even as we pray, we know, Jesus, that you're alive, hearing, and interceding for us. That we might be secure in our peace with God and confidence as we live in the world in which we live that you're with us, keeping us, protecting us, helping us, enabling us. And even in our relationships, you're transforming us that we may live in harmony with others. So we give you thanks. We pray that we would live believing. And as we know too that you've called us to live holy lives, lives that honor and reflect you, and yet we live in a world that tempts us to go our own way, the ways of others. This evil one reinforces these temptations. And so we pray, God, that you would strengthen us to resist that by faith we too may overcome and follow you and you alone. Father, even in these days among us, we find weaknesses and difficulties in relationships and marriage and family and friendships. So we pray that you would heal wounds, give us grace to love. As you've restored relationship with you, we pray you would restore relationships with others. Father, we experience weakness in, in our bodies. There's much sickness that slows us, disease that debilitates and threatens to take our lives. Help us bring healing. Give us an awareness of your presence throughout these times. May our faith be strong. Some grieving the losses of those they love. Provide comfort. Some lonely among us bring friendship and companionship. Father, give us an abiding sense of your presence. Some of us, Father, live with fear of the future, giving us awareness, God, of your rule over all things, your wisdom in all matters, your love for us, that we might live in peace. God, we lay our very lives before you. And ask these things and so much more. And this one who came from you to the world. Conquered the world. Rose from the dead. Left the world. And now rules and reigns. We anticipate his return. And this we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. We have two responses to our benediction this morning. One is that announcement with which we began that Christ is risen. He's risen indeed and then to sing. Please receive this.
as God's benediction. And now may the God of peace be brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. And all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. strong the power of jesus name it is stronger than any other name how sweet the victory that bore my shame took the burden of my sins away hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah to my King. Oh, how great the kindness our God has shown. We were strangers, now we're called His own, His grace has welcomed the sinner home tender mercies lead us to the throne hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah what a savior hallelujah to my king The Spirit of Jesus brings through the trials. He will carry me one day in heaven. Our eyes will meet, filled with wonder. All the saints will sing, Hallelujah! What a Savior! I owe everything to Him. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah to my King. Hallelujah, what a Savior, I owe everything to Him. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah to You are dismissed.